Hi, I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro. I'd like to introduce you today to a, a sermon message I gave several years ago called Becoming a Mustard Seed. For those of us living and swimming in 21st century Western culture, even Christian culture, uh, this is perhaps one of the more important or most important truths of Jesus that we've got allowed it to sink deep into the soil of our being. Uh, this little truth uh, that Jesus taught, he actually modeled it. It's powerful enough uh, to, to change your life, to shake the, the secular foundations of the way that we lead, the way that we see people and circumstances and situations, the way we see the, our goals and visions, and actually help us relax, uh, actually help us just walk in contentment uh, and actually build something as leaders that's not wood, hay, or stubble, that actually is gold, you know, precious stones. It's going to last, you know, beyond our lives. You know, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in a field. And though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and perch on its branches. So in this message, I'm going to talk about just a few main points about this, this tiny, imperceptible seed its power, it, it, it appears so insignificant. Uh, and again, Jesus was speaking into a culture where people expected big and dramatic, and Jesus saying, no, the kingdom's imperceptible. And it's, it, it, it seems so powerless. Jesus sure didn't look powerful, especially next to Herod. And it, it, it's involved suffering in, in this dormancy of mustard seeds that break open and 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 the kind of suffering involved in, in suffering in, in in mustard seed being in leadership, uh, and it appears to be defeated. Uh, and Jesus looked like a loser and defeated. I mean, Judas uh, didn't sign up for mustard seed uh, leadership and kingdom. And uh, so many of us in the church, we didn't sign up for this mustard seed thing. We, we we're building something that. It's just so easy. It's not of Christ. I mean, I I know because I've done it, uh, and I this is probably one of the truths that I uh, come back to over and over and over again. Because like you, I'm inundated with messages uh, coming at me that are the opposite of mustard seed leadership, uh, with a Christian veneer to them, and it's just challenging to live in uh, swimming in Jesus when I'm swimming in a culture that's so different. So. Uh, if we're going to bring a mustard seed kingdom in our leadership, we have to be mustard seeds. So again, our mission at Emotional Anthem Discipleship is to transform the church through multiplying deeply changed disciples and leaders. And a significant part of that is helping you become a mustard seed. So we must be a mustard seed if we're going to give that out to the world. So enjoy, as you listen to this message, becoming a mustard seed. Amen. Please be seated. And if you go with me, please, to Matthew 13. Uh, Matthew 13. You need a Bible, raise your hands, and we'll usher will give you a Bible. Yeah, Matthew 13, uh, verse 31. Before I read it, you know, there's a famous story uh, of uh, Thomas Merton. Many of you know who he is. He was a, you know, he was a Trappist monk in the 50s and 60s and wrote quite a few books. But at one point, he, he'd left this, his life was primarily devoted to writing and prayer. And at one point, he, he tells a story of he went to a store to buy some toothpaste in the 1960s. And he was asked by the shopkeeper, you know, which, which brand of toothpaste do you want? And he said, I, I don't care. 
And uh, he, he writes, the shopkeeper almost dropped dead. He goes, I was supposed to feel strongly about Colgate or Pepsodent or Crest or something that had these five flavors in it that has a secret ingredient. He goes, but I didn't care about the secret ingredient. And he realized that he had revealed himself as an outsider in America. And he concludes, the worst thing you can do now in America is not to care about these kinds of things. And uh, we're in a series right now that's called Upside Down Spirituality. And, and we started last week and uh, talked about this hardness of heart. Uh, and really, it's called Upside Down Spirituality because uh, Jesus used parables to try to communicate this, this entirely different way of seeing life and, and the world uh, through these stories, that, that God is just so different than us. And the Bible, the biblical word is holy. In fact, so many of our songs this morning had holy in it. And the word holy means other. It means, it means different. He, he's not like we think. And uh, it, it's so easy to have a God or, or, or bring God down so that he serves us uh, or a God who, who conforms to my, what I want and what I need and what I desire and, and fits my culture and, and American culture. Th this parable we're going to do this morning is very un-American. I mean, it's very un-American. And I, I have struggled with this parable really my whole Christian life. And it's a, I, I, you know, I think I understand it at times, but then I don't. And, and so it's been a very slow process. And I'm very aware that even now, I, I probably understand a, a level of it, but I can, and I probably can only give you what I've got and bring you where I am. But to get this parable of the mustard seed, it does impact decisions. It impacts how we live our entire lives. It's a perspective of the kingdom of God that is so unique. Now, I love the idea that you would be a mustard seed. I think it's wonderful to read about it in books. It's beautiful. I'm not sure I want to live it myself, but I think it's a tremendous idea. And because the values of Western culture in particular that I'm a part of, and my own family of origin are, are, are so different from this that it just kind of squeezes this Christianity that Jesus is talking about, this upside down view of the kingdom. It just kind of squeezes it out of me and I just then take this passage and I, I just kind of molded something different and I just move on or just skip it all together. And, uh, and, and really, it was the same in Jesus' day as he, as he talked and brought the kingdom of God. And here's a, a way of looking at it. You know, they, they, in Jesus' day, the, the believers in God were expecting this intervention of the kingdom to come. And they saw themselves as living in like the old age, the present evil age dominated by the evil one. And they were waiting for the Messiah to come. When the Messiah came, it would be the day of the Lord. It would be dramatic. It would be cataclysmic. It would be sudden. It would be, it would be powerful. And it would, it would destroy oppression and evil and sickness and the demonic. And they longed for that day. And then a new age would come and it would be tremendous. And, and so it was this bigness they were expecting and, and this dramaticness and, and, and suddenness and, and, and immediacy that they longed for, but it didn't happen in Jesus. And it was very confusing to them. And that's why they, they, they rejected Jesus and they, and they, and they crucified him. And so Jesus wanted them to understand that, no, no, the Messiah has come and the kingdom is here, but it's already here, but it's, it's not yet fully here. The kingdom is not what you think. God, God's work in, in, in your life and in the world is not the way you think it's hap gonna happen. It's gonna come but it's going to come in things like a mustard seed. Uh, it's going to come in ways that you never expected. Now, this moment's going to come where it's going to fully come, that suddenness, at the end of history. 
but not now. But the kingdom's here. And if you don't get this, you're not going to see it. It's going to go right by you. And, and so you've got this contrast of, of what they were expecting, this day of the Lord, and which they didn't get. They got Jesus and, and, the, and the Messiah and the kingdom, but it was more like this. And there was this kind of period that we're living in right now where the kingdom's here. And we taste it, we smell it, we enjoy it, but we are living in this present evil age still. And it's a mix. And so this mustard seed parable was written or, or spoken by Jesus, like all of his parables, to try to help us grasp what is this kingdom? What does it mean to, to live in it, to, to embody it, to, to, to follow Jesus? Because it's not like the world. And really, I, 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 I realize I, I want this. I, I, I want this kingdom. I just want it now. Just, I want it clean and, and just end it and destroy evil, sickness, take care of the flu and uh, the economy, make all things well, and we'll move on. And it's very challenging to, to grasp this mustard seed. So let's read it together. And um, uh, beginning at verse, I'm, I'm just going to do the verses 31 and 32, two verses, as we're going to, over the weeks, unpack parables. But remember, every theme is, of the parables is an upside-down kingdom because Jesus is addressing people here who are discouraged uh, because this kingdom does not seem very massive and far-reaching to them. And they are uh, doubting and wondering if this is worth it. And so Jesus speaks to them in this text. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Let me read it one more time. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all your seeds. Now, in those days, you know, they, it was considered like the, in the ancient Near East, the mustard seed was considered the smallest. It's like us saying, oh, that the Empire State Building is like the biggest building, okay? It's not that necessarily the literal smallest, smallest, but it was like, it symbolized in the ancient Near East, the smallest of the small. It was, though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch on its branches. So, so again, this mustard seed represents something extremely small. And Jesus says, that's the kingdom. It's tiny. And, and my revolution, says Jesus, my, my coming, my work is like that. It's, it starts out, it's very insignificant. It, it appears powerless and, and uh, the suffering and there's a cross. And, and, uh, but it, it remarkably, it will grow. And trust me, it will grow and it will cover the whole earth. It'll fill the earth. God's plan will advance, and nothing is going to stop this mustard seed from growing. That's his point. The end is going to come. The earth is going to be filled with the glory of God. The whole world is going to come under my shade, and uh, the end is going to be tremendous. And so, but there is a way to get there. And he says the point is, it's a mustard seed way. It's little. And the kingdom of God is always little uh, in this already not yet season. It's always seed-sized. And it was designed... God designed it that this seed would reside in people like you and me, earthen vessels who are very imperfect and fallen. And uh, so today we're going to talk about what does it mean to become a mustard seed? Because we are called to be mustard seeds. And uh, what are the qualities of this mustard seed? And they're challenging qualities to, to embrace. And 
again, because they're so different than the American way in particular. And so, you know, you know they, I read a study recently that said that the one commonality worldwide, when you ask people, what do they want? The number one answer is they want to be happy, want to be content. They want to experience well-being and joy. And uh, I'd like that too. I think we all do. But Jesus' path to joy, and he says, I offer this to you too, is through mustard seed. And it is very different uh, than what the world has around us. But he invites us to trust him in this path. So I'm going to give you three qualities. I kind of I melted it down to three. And, and I'm going to put the word apparent in them first. But these, this mustard seed spirituality is what Jesus is inviting us to. And uh, I must admit, I'd like to run from it uh, sometimes. But this is the invitation. And it appears, first of all, very insignificant. Uh, it is insignificant in the world standards, but it's an appearance of insignificance. But in the world, it's insignificant. And so really, in fact, it's always been that way. If you think about biblical history, God's work through history, it's always been a mustard seed. And that's why I said, why did I ever get it? It's just, it's everywhere in the Bible. Abraham, talk about a mustard seed. Guy was all by himself at, you know, 75, leaving his home in Ur and traveling and talk about a mustard seed that he's going to be a blessing to the whole earth. And then the whole Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, what a mustard seed. And even when Joseph rises to power at the end of Genesis and becomes the number two person in, in command in Egypt, he's in a completely idolatrous culture. He is on the margins. He is a little seed there. God is using him, but, but he does not have the earthly power as we would define it. And then you think of Moses, talk about a mustard seed. The guy's in the world, you know, 40 years in the desert. He's 80 years old. He's an, he's an elderly gentleman, you know, leading an army here of slaves. And, and uh, Gideon, I mean, Gideon, in the book of Judges, he's got 300 men against 135,000. And God put it, structured it that he was a mustard seed. And, and it just goes on. Samuel was a mustard seed. Saul, when he first started, was a mustard seed. When he, when he got out of being a mustard seed as a king and started, started to become an egomaniac is when the whole thing went down. David was a mustard seed. He was the youngest of eight, and he was a nobody. And uh, what a mustard seed he was. He was the last son. He was the least expected. Uh, same thing with Isaiah. He was, Isaiah preached for 50 to 60 years, and, and it says that no one ever listened to him. Could you imagine? I mean, no one paid attention to him. And talk about a mustard seed. You got a nice big book in the Bible, which was good. And uh, Jeremiah, he, he was a mustard seed. This guy preached another 40, 50 years. And while he was preaching, the whole country got wiped out by the Babylonians. Talk about a mustard seed. Daniel was a mustard seed. Remember, he and his three friends get carried over into Babylon, and they're, they're believers. They're followers of God. They're completely surrounded by a pagan culture who's given them new names, teaching them astrology. They're in the best schools, but the whole goal of Nebuchadnezzar was to, was to totally assimilate them into Babylonian culture. Talk about a mustard seed. So again, even though Daniel rises to great power and prominence as a prime minister, he is always on the margins. It's interesting. So even if you rise in your field, and some of you have, and, and, into positions of, of authority and power, because you belong to Jesus, once you belong to him, you're always a mustard seed, and you're always on the margins. Even if you have great power and wealth and authority, you're never part of this thing. You're always a mustard seed, and, and, and Daniel understood himself as that. Ezekiel was a mustard seed. His whole life was on the margins. I, I can go on. Habakkuk, same thing. John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? This guy was doubting in prison. I mean, he, he sends a messenger to Jesus because he realizes he's about to get his head cut off. Talk about a mustard seed. I mean, he's given his life for this, and he's looking for the Messiah, and he's saying, I don't get it. I don't see it. 
And he says, are you the one? And uh, he's wondering, he's struggling. The whole book of Revelation is about a mustard seed. It's written to seven churches in Asia Minor, and they're about to be wiped out, apparently, by the emperor Domitian and be annihilated. Christians are dying. Christians are, are losing jobs. And uh, everyone's giving glory and honor to Caesar, and there's pagan temples everywhere. And uh, talk about a mustard seed. And so during Jesus' ministry, and as he writes this in Matthew 13, and if you read this parable in Luke, they're surrounded by conflict and opposition. I mean, it's just a, it doesn't look very good. And Jesus' ministry in his kingdom was almost imperceptible. People kept missing it. It almost was invisible. And Jesus, from being a manger and living in Nazareth and choosing these 12 guys, it just, it just doesn't look very good. And so you've got this, dynamic of mustard seed spirituality, which is what God's invitation is to all of us in this room, appears insignificant to the world around us. It just seems like a waste. Uh, it seems like it's doing nothing. I mean, I, I, we don't, it doesn't advance through intellect, through earthly power and wis, earthly wisdom and size like the world, but a mustard seed. I remember when I became a Christian, and uh, I was actually leader of our Christian group on our college campus. And my number one goal was to get cool people in that group. Beautiful young ladies <laughs> and sharp guys. So that I could show everybody, we are not a mustard seed here. We are cool. And we attract cool people here as well. And I remember I had a, I, I, I'd been a pastor in Texas uh, a number of years ago that had David Robinson, who used to play for the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, he was a big basketball star, and I, I love basketball. And he was in his church. And I was like so envious. I was like, oh, man. I just imagine, you know, David Robinson is almost seven foot tall. He's, you know, he's tremendous built, handsome guy, and godly as could be. And I was like, I want him in my church. <laughs> I want him right there walking in. I just imagine him walking in, all the crowd going, whoa, you know. And... Uh, and then I actually, I did my intern, I worked in a church many years ago as an intern, and uh, at the time, Gerald Ford, uh, his son, he was, pre he, his, right before I got there, Gerald Ford's son was in the church, the president. And so the church, when, and the pastor was telling me about when you go to church, it was secret service all over with machine guns. And I said, that is good. <laughs> That's making it. And, you know, because you're not insignificant, you're important. You know, the secret service, the president's son is in the church. And, uh, and so it's like, let's, you can imagine like looking at Jesus at this moment and, and they're saying, you know, look at, look, look, let's be like Rome. Let's be like Athens and, and Corinth and let's, well, let's get some real disciples in here. Peter, Judas, doubting Thomas. I mean, this, this is bad. This is the wrong group. And, and, so you've got to catch this. It's like Jesus purposefully gets these uneducated fishermen from the north of Galilee, from the middle of nowhere, and he makes them the leaders of the whole movement. Insignificant. And it's a scandal, isn't it? I hate it. And so it's like, you just want to, right? We want to supplement the story. You just want to dress it up, make it more attractive, make it more effective. And, uh, you know, read a few books on apologetics and you'll get to your friend all right, you know, and you'll have a few arguments. Accept Jesus. You know, we're smart here. And 
You know, and, and some of you grew up in families where you grew up and you were invisible. It's like nobody noticed. Especially if you're a, a, a middle child, very often middle children get lost or invisible. Or if you grew up in a family where there was abuse or, you know, addiction or just, no, it was like, nobody noticed me my whole life. And it's like a deep scar. And so, and so it's like you grow up in adulthood and you're like, I want, it, I want people to know me. I'm here. And this idea of a mustard seed is like, no way. And because uh, I fear that I'll be forgotten. And uh, that's why it's so difficult to be silent. It's so hard to be quiet. You ever be in a conversation and talking about something and, and you really have something to contribute, but they don't want to hear it. Uh, no one's even asking you your opinion. And you're saying to yourself, who cares? I have something to say here. And you just shove yourself in. And, uh, but it's really because you don't want to be a mustard seed. You just, you, you just want to make it known that you're here and you're not invisible. You're not imperceptible. And uh, you see, it appears, this, this kingdom of God, it appears insignificant. You got to catch this. But you see, and, and, and so we live in a world and it appears that we're irrelevant or, or we're nothing, but it's not true. The point of Jesus is you are enormously significant. What Jesus is doing here is incredibly significant. These 12 are incredibly significant. The kingdom that's here, Jesus is saying, is incredibly significant and powerful. In fact, you got to, over and over again, you got to say it grows to become a tree. And the birds of the air will come and perch on its branches. It will fill the earth. It will bless and bring shade to everyone worldwide, and nothing in hell is going to stop this thing. Now, we just finished a series on your life, your calling, and your work, and that you are incredibly significant in work. You are called to full-time. You are a full-time minister of God. He put his hand on you. You are chosen. And, um, and so people at work may pass you by and think you're nothing because you're just a crossing guard in front of you know, PS73. But no, they don't know that you're out there creating, shaping, stopping chaos, pushing back the powers of evil. They can't see it. They just think you're the crossing guard, you know, who's yelling at that driver for almost <laughs> killing a child. But they don't understand. They don't understand that you're picking up garbage at sanitation, but you are making our city beautiful. They don't understand that you are building a new heaven, a new earth, that you are incredibly significant in what you're doing. And uh, they have no idea as you're producing goods and services to enhance our culture or as you're teaching a class and you're of, of kindergarten kids, you are, you, are, you are building the kingdom of God. You are in a place of God. You don't understand, as one person told me last week, they, went to a, they were in their office and, and realized this woman was very depressed. And, um, and he normally is an introvert. He wouldn't normally do this. He actually got up at this whole series on your life, your calling, and your work, and he realized... God put me here, and he walked over to this woman, and he said, I spoke to her for 15, 20 minutes. He didn't tell me what he said, but he said, I spoke to her, and because he got it, my life is significant. He works for the, you know, a, city, a large city agency. He's just a cog in a machine, apparently irrelevant, but uh, you're a single mom raising your child. You are not insignificant. You are investing in, in generations in this person's life. You are, you're, you're spending time with God in the morning, and you're praying, and if you're like me, sometimes you feel like, is this doing anything? Week after week, month after month, you're investing in your life in God, and you're living out a rule, your offices, you're praying, you're doing silence, and, and Jesus says, no, what you're doing is, is enormously significant. You are building a secret history in me, and I tell you, every seed you're planting, every seed, as you become that seed, it is going to bear tremendous fruit. But do not be discouraged, and you grow patient. This thing will build. 
and you be faithful. Same thing as we're giving, right? We're tithing, we're offering year after year, and you're saying, what good is this? You know, I don't say, I'm not getting rich, you know? Where's the comeback in all this? You say, you trust me, I will take care of you and meet your needs, but you continue to build a, a secret history in me. But I love this Romans, you know, Revelation says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ, and he, Jesus, will reign forever and ever. And that's the point of this parable. Make no mistake about it. The kingdom may appear very insignificant. Your life may feel insignificant, but you are very significant. The word is appear. And um, you don't have to take up a lot of space and say, here I am. And not that it's bad to promote ourselves at times when it's appropriate and make ourselves known in our businesses, but I don't do it from a place of I feel like I'm nobody because you are somebody in Christ. And, and uh, that's why it says, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue, Proverbs, uh, because we don't have to have to speak all the time. And here I am speaking. So let's move on to number two, <laughs> appearing insignificant. Uh, the second is, is, is an appearance in the mustard seed. It appears so powerless. And the word powerless is, is intentionally chosen here. And, and, and uh, because remember, Jesus did not look very powerful. Uh, he looked very weak. Herod at this time was the governor of the uh, Judea, that whole area. He was building massive temples, spectacular buildings, theaters. Uh, uh, one of the, the temple in Jerusalem was one of the wonders of the world, the seven wonders of the world. That's how incredible it was. Rome was a magnificent city, I mean, powerful. You know, Ephesus had this temple to, to Artemis that was the, you know, one of the wonders of the world. It was this amazing wealth and, and culture. You had Athens with, you know, Plato and Socrates, you know, all the school, the most brilliant thinkers in history. And, 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 and you had Sadducees and Pharisees and, and, you know, this religious world of Judaism that was brilliant, you know, brilliant. These, these Hasidic scholars are brilliant. And you can imagine, have PhDs and, and, and awards and degrees and great schools. And, and here's Jesus, and he's speaking in parables, little stories to uneducated farmers. Mustard seed, you know, soil in the seed. I mean, he's talking like, da, da. Like, this is not very impressive. Uh, he, he doesn't, like, take his intellect and power and bowl people over. He could have, right? I mean, if anybody could have gone to Athens and, and done, you know, circles around the philosophers there as it was Jesus, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that. That's not the kingdom of God. It's not the way it comes. And uh, he doesn't overwhelm people with his power, with his intellect, with size. So here's temptation. Oh, let's... You know, for us, so it appears powerless. Jesus doesn't look very powerful. So he said, okay, well, you know what? We are going to buy up Queens Boulevard. We're going to buy that building next door. We're going to build something that's going to shake New York. You know, we're going to grow in a size that, you know what? The mayor is going to know New Life Fellowship Church. We're here. Take notice of us. And uh, it's a great temptation. It's one of the great temptations of the wilderness. You know, I'm going to do something in my life that my family's going to know I'm, I made it, that I'm not a loser, that I got some power. And, uh, you know, Christians are to be counted. I'm not going to let myself get stepped on. Or, you know, I, I, know, you know, I know many churches, I, we have a budget that's this size. It's about I want to show I've got some power here. And uh, even, even signs and wonders and miracles, which we all want signs and wonders and miracles, we want God to move. But the question is, why do we want them? Do I need this healing so that, People will know God's powerful 
and you better get saved right now. God's powerful. Well, you're missing another kingdom. That's a United States kingdom slapped on Christianity as not the purpose of signs and wonders to overpower people and using our intellects to overpower people or trying to build something or our careers, build your career, make a lot of money for the glory of God. I mean, talked about that. I mean, do, do well. The question is why? But you always see yourself that apparently in the world's eyes, even if God does give me great success, I'm always embracing mustard seed. I am a mustard seed. And like Daniel or like um, uh, Joseph, I always understand myself. I'm on the margins. I do not buy the world's values of power, wealth, significance, success. I, I reject that, and I choose Jesus' kingdom, which really is insignificance. I, I don't need to make myself known, and I choose powerlessness, uh, the way of Christ, and it's the way of death. And so, again, you... you it's not that we're powerless, because Jesus says, when you come to me, you're very powerful. You're very, God of the universe lives inside of you. And next week's message, we're going to talk about, if you're going to be powerless, you have to have power. In other words, if you're going to live this mustard seed and appear powerless or embrace powerlessness, you have to first know you've got power. And so that'll be next week. So you can give it. So we're not like we're, we're victims. We are not victims. We choose to give it like Jesus. Jesus Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels and wiped everybody out. But he freely chose it because he understood the kingdom and the way it comes, that it's going to come powerfully, but it's going to come in a very different way. He says his power is made perfect in weakness. I, you know, I thought about, you know, we're coming off this you know, retreat we've just done, and um, we, we talked about listening quite a bit. You know, we've done a lot of exercises here on reflective listening, et cetera. But to be non-defensive with her, Jerry, and I, I realize it's powerlessness to be in discussions with Jerry and listening and to her when it can feel very personal, like you're attacking me, not that she is. And so I put my, my walls up and I say, you stop that. And, but I, wanna, I want the goal, which is a great marriage and intimacy. And, uh, and so part of the kingdom mustard seed is I'm going to embrace letting my defenses down and embrace powerlessness and allow her to speak, and I'm going to actually listen to her, even though it hurts. And I'm going to die to some things like drivenness and, and overworking and all that, and anxieties, because I have a goal. The key thing in this text is there's a goal. The mustard seed is going to become a full-blown tree. This kingdom is going to come and fill the earth. This mustard seed is not dead. It is not powerless. It is enormously powerful. Paul understood this. He says, Jesus' power, remember, is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I boast all the more, more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. He goes, I delight in my weaknesses. And, and he says, I, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions. But when I am weak, then I am strong. Appearances are not what they appear to be. The kingdom and your life, people might say, you're powerless. You're a nothing. And you're saying, so you're smiling because you know, I've got a tremendous power. I know who I am. But I have chosen, the most, I, I have chosen Jesus. And this mustard seed will fill the earth. The rest, of, the rest of it is going to pass away. And I boast in my weakness because his power is made perfect in me. Uh, that's why we can, some of us struggle with forgiving people and letting go because it feels so powerless. But we let it go because we know who he is. As you know, I read Psalms a lot. And uh, yesterday, here, here was Psalm 105. And I, I imagine Joseph in Genesis says about Joseph, God sent Joseph sold as a slave 
They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till the word of the Lord proved him true. That's the mustard seed. Imagine Joseph. He's taken away as a slave. His neck is in irons. And I tried to imagine myself like I'm Joseph. I'm thinking, this is the kingdom of God. This is the mustard seed. I'm being carried away. I'm losing everything. And the answer is, absolutely. Because he's, he's, he's walking with God. He's being faithful. God's working out a sovereign plan. We can't see it all. But the Jesus says, I promise you, you stay with me. You be faithful to me. This seed is going to become a full-blown tree. And all the birds of the air are going to perch in its nest. You will be a blessing. People will come for shade, for blessing, for fruit under your life but you've got to stick with me and trust me in this. And you don't go the world's way. You choose a mustard seed spirituality. Pure insignificant and pure powerless. And oh, it's a wonderful text. But uh, so let me, let me go on here, right? You know, a small beginning has a powerful ending. This is very hard to take living here in America. It's hard to take. It's hard not having a, what do they have now? Supersized fries. I mean, I go into McDonald's and it's just everything's, Big and powerful and attractive. But the last one I, I, I think is perhaps for me the most challenging. It, the mustard seed appears defeated. And uh, I, I don't like that. It can feel abusive. And uh, you know, Jesus was apparently defeated, and uh, he looked like a loser. Judas did not sign up for mustard seed spirituality. Maybe some of you, when you became a Christian, you did not sign up for mustard seed either. You signed up that Jesus would help you get where you want to go. And now you're finding out that is not what he's about. You've made all these plans for your life. And now you're finding out he's wrecking the whole house. He's tearing the house down. He's building a whole new one in your life. But Jesus wants us to know that life comes from death. Beauty comes from ugliness. And so we're not victims. We choose freely to surrender to this. And uh, so, therefore, we have people, you know, Christians who, and uh, as I was, a good friend was telling me about two, two, the best medical school in Paris, these two folks attended, and they, they, they'd been living in Haiti for basically for, for decades. They gave their lives to live in Haiti. And that's a mustard seed, isn't it? That's where they live. And I thought of Rick and Gigi who are here, you know, and Rick was part of our church, I don't know, 10, 12 years. He was in the Philippines. It's a mustard seed in, in Cebu. And I thought of a brilliant nuclear engineer uh, that uh, became a, a, uh, a monk. He, became, he devoted his life to prayer. He, you know, he left everything. And I, I, I read an article just you know, a few weeks ago about a woman who, and her husband who chose to live in what they called a mustard seed house. And uh, they actually moved into a house that was half the size of their previous house. And uh, they're surrounded by these big houses. And she just wrote about how they did it so they could be more generous with their money. Uh, they, they couldn't buy many things, more time with their family. And uh, they said, we're just a mustard seed, and, we, and we're, we're low on space, but we're big in love. And I said, what an interesting, and they, and what an interesting way of living your life. And, and uh, history does bear out this whole mustard seed that appears defeated. I, I think of the whole you know, chi- Chinese church. In 1949, the Chinese church uh, had, they say, uh, 1.5 million people. And communism took over. Everybody foreign was thrown outside the country. And uh, when... Many, many years later, they, people wondered if this 1.5 million Christians have been wiped out. Well, they came in decades later, and it turns out that that 1.5 million Christians was now 60 to 100 million. And there was a, it was the most phenomenal growth ever in speed in church history was what happened in China when it appeared that the whole thing was dead and was defeated. 
It was the best thing that ever happened. They kicked everybody out and uh, God began to move. And, and so even the whole message of revelation is that satanic power gets incarnated in culture and tries to crush us, believers, with lies. And we are people who bear witness to what is true. And as we do, we sometimes suffer and pay a price for that. Let me just close this little story. Um, many of you are familiar with the, with the atrocities that happened to Abu, I don't know how do you say it, Abu Ghraib? I can never say it right. You know what I'm talking about, Abu in Guantanamo Bay in 2004, all those atrocities. And uh, the shock and embarrassment of what some of the soldiers did to, you know, in, the, in torturing prisoners, Iraqi prisoners. And, uh, but it, it, a lot of articles got written about that time about it reminded them of, of an experiment that took place in Stanford, the Stanford Prison Experiment in the, in the 1970s. And it was, it was designed by these professors. With, they took, the, they took these, the best graduate students. Uh, there was a whole process. And they chose 24 of the best and brightest students. And all were male. And half were mandated to be guards and half were to be inmates. And they were going to put them in a, um, uh, a two-week process of living in this prison and study it. But they found out within 36 hours that the level of harassment uh, that the guards were now imposing on prisoners was so far beyond what the researchers had anticipated. And uh, it included stripping prisoners, putting their hoods over their heads, forcing them to clean the toilets out of, you know, with their bare hands, uh, you know, bags over their heads, being chained together, and other sadistic behavior, which I will not name. And the researchers themselves who are watching this lost perspective. The actual professor himself and other profs, kind of no one said anything. This went on now for six days as it kind of went downhill. And over that time, 50 people came in to observe. Nobody said anything. Uh, there was actually torture going on uh, in this experiment. And finally, day six, this girl named Christina Maslach, she was a PhD, just finished her PhD. She comes in to conduct interviews, and she sees what's going on, and she's absolutely horrified. She goes, you've you got to stop this thing. And, and she speaks up. And it talks about how she could have lost her job and all this. And, but she had the integrity to say something. And she stopped it, and, and regardless of what the consequences were going to be. And nobody stood up. That, that's the great, there's a lot of lessons in this. Oh, we could all have been like those guards, of course. But the real lesson to me is we are people in a culture. We're a mustard seed, and it can seem like our life is insignificant. Who am I? I'm just a kid in junior high school. I'm just a teacher here. I'm just a, a worker here. I'm, you know, I'm just a, a, you know, a city worker in my family. No one listens to me. No, no, no. We are people. We're not nobodies. We are significant. We do have power. And we actually bear witness to what is true. Wherever we are find ourselves, and we, let, we understand that part of the consequence of that, there often is suffering that comes with it. And sometimes a price to pay. Maybe we don't get that promotion. Maybe we don't get that money. Maybe we didn't get that new friend. But when someone's getting mocked out in a cafeteria, I actually say something. Because I'm a mustard seed. And the whole book of Revelation is about rather than cooperate with the lies of the culture, we bear witness to what is true. And because we don't mind apparent defeat, because we understand the mustard seed, that the day will come, the kingdom of God advances through the appearance of insignificance, powerlessness, and actually defeat. And it's through crucifixions and deaths and even sufferings that God advances his kingdom. That's the whole message of Revelation. It's not the way we think with earthly power and wisdom and intellect. So think about this for a second. If you're a parent here, what are your goals for your children? I can tell you this. This has not been on my prayer list for my four children. <laughs> Lord, may they embrace the mustard seed. 
insignificance and powerlessness and defeat because I know your kingdom will come through it. Absolutely not. You know, think of your goals for your life as a young person going out into the workforce or if you're middle-aged or if you're retired. Christianity is so unique. It is so unique. We're going to celebrate communion. I've got a good friend, and some of you met him, Scott Sunquist, who's a church historian. And I called him about this passage. I said, Scott, let's talk about this mustard seed thing. And, and he says, Pete, I've, you know, he's, he's, world religions has been his work for 25 years. And he says, Christianity is unique of all the world religions. He's talking about, he's really an expert on Asia, Hinduism, Buddhism, he goes African religions. He says, because Christianity, all religions is like, does not have a goal. All religions are just cycles, but there's no goal. Christianity is unique because God intervenes in history and visits through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then in the person of Jesus. History is going somewhere. And so our lives are filled with purpose and filled with hope because we know Jesus is on the throne and the day is gonna come when that seed is gonna grow. And it is growing and it has been growing for thousands of years, but it's gonna fully grow and become a tree and it's gonna fill the earth with his glory. And so no matter what happens, even though it appears like, oh my goodness, my life's a, it's a waste and defeat and insignificance and powerlessness, Jesus, no, you trust me, you stick with me because this thing is gonna fill the earth with your glory. So don't do the world's view, do yours. Amen. So let's close with this. Let's take, we're gonna have the Lord's Supper. We wanna become a mustard seed not just do some mustard seed things. God's got to change us. And I, I, I thought of the hundreds of thousands of messages that bombard me and you that are in my stubborn flesh to not do this. I struggle with this because of the messages that pour into us. So we want to become the heart of a mustard seed. We want to be a mustard seed. And uh, so yeah, worship team, come on forward. And we, I know, talk about becoming a family. We need each other. To be a healthy community, we need to immerse ourselves in scripture and, and prayer. Uh, we need to be very thoughtful to walk this out in the midst of a world that sees this as lunacy, just like they saw Jesus. So let's all stand together. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. And Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we look ahead to a marriage and we'll see him face to face. Now, we're going to feast at the Lord's table. That means that we are not going to feast at other tables. I'm talking about the tables of the world, about what's important, about what's powerful, about what's significant. Paul refers to the tables of demons. We are going to taste and eat at the table of the Lord Jesus. And we come here by grace. It's a free gift. And uh, we, the mustard seed table is insignificant. It's powerless. It's suffering. It appears to be defeat, but it's none of those things. We take in a little of his life inside of us. Just a little bread, a little cup. You'll take it. You'll dip it. If you're a believer, you kind of come to the table. The life of Jesus is going to feed and nourish us today that we may go out into this big, bad world with the glory of Jesus as mustard seeds, and our lives might be a gift to our families and workplaces for him. So let's pray as though, and we'll begin. Let's pray. And so, Father, we offer you ourselves right now at this table. And, Lord, we thank you that we can come to your table, not in our works, not in our performance, not in our name, but we come to this table, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We come based on Jesus, your perfect work at the cross and your resurrection. And we thank you. It's all grace, Lord. None of us deserve to come to this table. But 
We bless you for grace. So I pray you'd meet us, that we'd feast on you, feast on mustard seed spirituality. You might fill our lives with the little of this table. As we look forward, Lord, to the day we'll see you face to face and feast forever in your glory as the birds of the air and trees we built that will fill this earth with you. So we offer you this time in Christ's name. Amen. One of the images given in the Bible of becoming a Christian is a seed gets placed inside of you. We're born again by the imperishable word in Peter. And it's a tremendous image. It's the word's living and enduring, it says. It's powerful. Isn't that, it's really becoming a Christian. Something gets, God comes a little inside of you. He asks for forgiveness. He comes in. And it's so small, it's almost invisible. It's like, what happened? And, uh, and so you may be here today, and maybe you're not even a Christian. And, but you like to be. Or you need to be. And I want to invite you forward that you might receive a seed from heaven. And God might come inside of you. You might receive forgiveness and actually a whole new life and destiny for your life. But it starts out very small. But it's very, very powerful. Your whole life will be changed over time. But it starts out with you saying yes. And so you may want to come as we have altar workers over here to your left. Uh, but I want to also speak to those of you. You have the seed of, and you are a Christian. Uh, but uh, you're, in a, you're in a difficult place. And uh, like Jesus was speaking to disciples, they were discouraged and just could not see growth, couldn't see movement, uh, couldn't see going forward. And uh, today is for you because inside of you is, is an imperishable seed of great power. And God has destined you to become a tree that you would be a blessing. Your life would be a gift. He has called you by name. And today he's brought you here because that seed is to come alive and water is to be put on it. And he wants to fill you with hope and, and, and remove your discouragement and your apathy and really free you today and pour some water on that. And so I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. Don't run out of here as we close. We've got some prayer teams. We've been anointing people with oil and God moves in power. And uh, you want to respond because you have power inside of you to bless and to provide shade and fruit for other people. And it's a lie from hell that you're going nowhere or you're going backwards. It may appear insignificant. It may appear powerless. It may appear defeated, but you are not. Christ Jesus is on that throne. And this mustard seed will fill the earth. So I want to invite you to come forward as we close. So let's pray and I'll put up maybe our hands up towards heaven and just open your palms up and let's receive a blessing as we leave here. And Father, you know who was here in this first service that by your Holy Spirit you are speaking to that you're not done with them yet this morning and they need to come. I pray you'd, you'd give them grace to, to come forward here in that humility and apparent defeat and say, I need and come and allow others to lay hands and Pray for them to release grace and power here in this room. And I pray, Lord, you would not just simply renew our minds with this, but that, Lord, you might renew our hearts. You might put inside of us, Lord. We might embody, we might become mustard seeds. It's who we are, not simply what we do. And, Father, that we might offer that gift to a world that's run amok in running and searching for significance and power and earthly victories that's all going to pass away and that our lives actually might be shelter and fruit for other people so may the blessing of god rest upon you may his face shine and fill your life from the inside out and may the seed inside of you grow into a full tree that your life may be the gift that god intends in jesus name